Scripture reading this morning is found in chapter in Luke chapter 3 verses 15 to 22 found on page 834 in your pew Bible is it on the screen and it's also on the screen so I'll be reading from the common English Bible version <clears throat> excuse me responses to John the people were filled with expectation and everyone wondered whether John might be the Christ. John replied to them all, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than me is coming. I am not worthy to loosen the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The shovel he uses to sift the wheat from the husks is in his hands. He will clean out his threshing area and bring the wheat into his barn. But he will burn the husks with a fire that can't be put out. With many other words, John appealed to them, proclaiming good news to all the people. But Herod the ruler had been criticized harshly by John because of Herodias, Herod's brother's wife, and because of all the evil he had done. He added this to the list of his evil deeds and he locked John up in prison. Jesus' baptism. When everyone was being baptized, Jesus also was baptized. While he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit came down on him in bodily form like a dove. And there was a voice from heaven, You are my Son, whom I dearly love, and in you I find happiness reading of God's word. So good morning again, everyone. It's really good to be back with you this morning. This is my first Sunday back after a two-week vacation. Um, it was a staycation, uh, if you know what that means. As many of you already know, uh, Aaron and I have two kids, a three-year-old and a one-year-old, which pretty much means we can't go anywhere. Um, but we laid low. Uh, we had some family come visit, which was really nice. We got to celebrate Christmas and New Year's with the kids. It was really a, an awesome time. Um, and as you might be able to hear in my voice, I also got sick while I was on my vacation. I feel a lot better, um, but my voice is still kind of struggling to come back. And full disclosure, what actually happened was about two-thirds of the way through my vacation, I tried to sneak in a work day, which is a no-no. You're not supposed to do that. Um, I went off to uh, like, a, like a coffee shop with Wi-Fi and actually worked on this sermon a little bit. And then I woke up my, the next day with this nasty cold and completely lost my voice. So, I don't know, but it's, it's almost like God actually means it when he tells us to rest. You know, who knew? So we made it through Advent and Christmas. Um, and for the next uh, couple months until we hit Lent, we're going to be looking at the beginnings of Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of Luke. And our passage today is the baptism of Jesus from Luke chapter 3. Now, this is a pretty famous story. This is the first story we get about Jesus as an adult in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John introduce us to grown-up Jesus with the baptism story, which I guess means it's pretty important. I've got to say, though, looking at Luke's version, it kind of throws me for a loop. Like the structure of this passage just feels off. There are three parts to this passage that Ron just read for us. 
It starts with John the Baptist as the forerunner of Jesus in verses 15 to 18, John's ministry of baptism and his preaching. Then we get this little aside in verses 19 and 20 about King Herod imprisoning John. And then there's the baptism of Jesus in verses 21 to 22. Now, to me, that feels a little out of order. Like, if John is the one who baptizes Jesus, then presumably that happened before he went to prison. And so you'd expect that little aside about King Herod to come after Jesus is baptized. But it's kind of wedged in, in the middle of this story, which kind of breaks the flow. There's this tool that uh, a lot of preachers use called a lectionary. Some of you might have heard of it, some of you might not have, which is fine either way. A lectionary is basically a guide for pastors that helps us make sure we're preaching through the entire Bible and hitting all the highlights from the life of Jesus. It's basically like this three-year cycle of recommended readings to preach on. And when this passage comes up in the lectionary, which happens to be today, the lectionary actually recommends skipping the verses about Herod just cutting that out completely, which is crazy, I think. Because this little aside, this little note about John being imprisoned, this is what actually gives the whole story its stakes. Baptism is dangerous. We don't think of it in those terms today because we live in a free society, supposedly, Um, And so for us, baptism is a time of celebration and joy. I remember when I was baptized, it wasn't dangerous at all. It was awesome. I was a little kid. We had family in town. Everyone was proud of me. We went out to lunch afterwards. The biggest danger when I was baptized was that my dad might slip the pastor a few bucks to hold me under longer. (laughs) That, That was about the worst of it. It wasn't dangerous. But at the time of John the Baptist, things were different. Baptism was a dangerous endeavor. It was the kind of thing that could get you locked up by King Herod. So that's what I want to look at today, the danger of baptism. What made John's baptism so dangerous? And what should that teach us about our baptisms today? Now, baptism was a pretty well-known practice in ancient Judaism in the first century. Uh, It could be used as a form of purification if you became ceremonially unclean. Maybe you had contact with a dead body or you committed some kind of a sin. And so there were ritual washings like baptism that would allow you to be declared clean. But the style of baptism John is performing where you call people to repent, to turn from their past lives, from their sins, and embrace a new way of being in the world, that form of baptism had a very specific usage at the time. It was used for Gentile converts to Judaism. That is, for non-Jews who wanted to become Jewish, they would get baptized as a sign that they had left their old lives behind. It was also believed at the time that baptism would wash away any residue, any stain from, like, the non-Jewish pagan religions that a lot of these Gentile converts were part of. Baptism was a way to kind of wash that away so they could be welcomed in with a clean slate. There's just one little problem. John is baptizing Jews. He's calling his own people 
to repent, to turn from their old lives, their old religious ways, and dedicate themselves to God. John's taking this ritual that was reserved for outsiders, and he's applying it to people who are already in, supposedly. And that's a really big deal. Like, you didn't do this sort of thing back then. And by doing baptism in this way, John the Baptist is indicting his own religious system. He's implying that there's something wrong, something lacking, something missing from the religious establishment of the day. And let's not forget who John's dad was, right? We talked about Zechariah during Advent, John's father. He was a priest who worked at the temple, offering incense in the holiest of holies. Zechariah was a part of the establishment. And now the priest's son is out in the wilderness eating bugs, baptizing people, and indicting the very religious system that gave birth to him. Side note, if you're a Christian, which there's a pretty good chance if you're here, you are, and you've ever found yourself looking at the church, maybe in America, and just kind of scratching your head, going like something here is not right, something doesn't line up, someone needs to turn this upside down and fix this, I think John would feel your pain. Now the temple system John is critiquing, which Jesus would also go on to critique, it was able to function because it had backing from those in power. And there was one political leader in particular who was especially in league with the temple authorities. Does anyone want to guess who that person was? That's a real question. Anyone want to guess? It rhymes with ring rarid. (laughs) King Herod. Yeah, King Herod was in league with the temple authorities. So that's one strike against John and his method of baptism. Another is more geographic. John is baptizing people in the Jordan River. Now, I've got a map of the area we're talking about. That's on the next slide. That's okay, Robin. No worries. Here's a map. You can see Jerusalem. And then this little blue line running from the Sea of Galilee in the north to the Dead Sea in the south. That's the Jordan River. The Jordan River was a really important spot in Jewish history. If you go back to the Exodus story, talking Ten Commandments, Moses, when the Hebrew slaves escaped from Egypt and wandered through the wilderness for 40 years, the Jordan River is where their wandering came to an end. It's where Joshua, Moses' successor, led the Hebrews into the Promised Land to take it back. Now, by the time of John the Baptist, Judea was under the control of Rome. And Herod is the leader appointed by the Romans as king of Judea. And the last time a bunch of Israelites were hanging out by the Jordan River, when someone else was running things in the promised land, it got pretty ugly. (laughs) So in an action that would have been just loaded with history and memory, John is baptizing people in the Jordan River who then come out out of the water and enter back into the promised land. This is really dangerous stuff. 
John's baptism was super subversive. It was an indictment of the religious and political systems of his day, which were one and the same, really, and both fell at the feet of King Herod. And if that wasn't enough, John goes and calls out Herod personally, in public, for divorcing his first wife and marrying the wife of his brother, who also happened to be his niece, which is really gross. The Herod dynasty was a hot mess. <clears throat> Most of the people in that family either killed each other or married each other. It's a lot, of, a lot of messed up stuff going on there. But are you beginning to see why this simple act of baptizing people out in the wilderness was so dangerous? Do you see why a guy like John the Baptist could get locked up for this kind of stuff? Actually, help this, I think this helps explain the structure of our passage, actually. Luke's gospel tells us about John and all this subversive stuff he's doing. Then it tells us, not surprisingly, that John got arrested by Herod. You'd kind of expect that. But then the gospel drops a bomb on us. A lot of people were getting baptized by John in the Jordan River. <clears throat> and oh yeah, Jesus was one of them. Like, that's shocking. That should surprise us. Our jaws should be on the floor. (laughs) Any illusions we might have about Jesus being apolitical? About the gospel being this purely spiritual, purely personal thing where it's just me and Jesus with no ramifications for how I live in the world and relate to systems of power and authority? Any illusions like that? are blown completely out of the water when Jesus is identified with John the Baptist. This is supposed to shock us. Jesus' association, he's he's associated with, with a subversive enemy of the state. And John promises that Jesus' baptism will be even more intense, more radical. I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is more powerful than I, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Baptism has lost a lot of these stakes today. It's not the risky proposition it once was. Most people view baptism as sort of an initiation rite. It's like the last box you have to check to be part of a church um, or to be part of the the in-crowd of Jesus followers. But actually, the early Baptists, our ancestors in the faith, they understood baptism very differently. And I think there's some parallels here with the story we're looking at today. So Baptists got our start during the Protestant Reformation. We're talking like 500 years ago, when various groups, Lutherans, Puritans, you name it, were breaking off from the Catholic Church. And similar to the time of Jesus, there was no separation of church and state during the Reformation. Catholic or Protestant, all these various churches were in league with some sort of governing authority. The Catholics had the monarchies in Italy, France, and Spain. Lutherans were connected to the monarchy in Germany. Anglicans to the King of England. And the ritual of baptism wasn't just your entryway into the church. It was your entryway into whatever kingdom your church was affiliated with. If you were baptized as a baby in the Anglican church, that meant you were a citizen of England. And the early Baptists didn't like that very much. They thought that the church 
should be independent of the state so it could critique the state and be a prophetic witness against state-sponsored violence. So the Baptists, our spiritual ancestors, the early Baptists, renounced their infant baptisms and got rebaptized as adults. And in so doing, they were also renouncing their earthly citizenship. Most people at the time viewed getting rebaptized as an act of treason. Now, you couldn't get Protestants and Catholics to agree on anything during the Protestant Reformation, but they all hated what the Baptists were doing. <clears throat> and the punishment for getting rebaptized back then was death by drowning. If you were found out by the religious and political authorities, they'd arrest you, they'd tie you up, they'd take you to the river or lake that you'd been rebaptized in, they'd tie a big stone around your neck, and they would throw you in. You want to get baptized? We'll baptize you. We don't face these kind of stakes anymore. <clears throat> Thank God. There are Christians in parts of the world where Christianity is illegal who face this sort of persecution, but we don't. So what should we take away from this history? How should the danger of baptism that we no longer face explicitly shape our understanding of our own baptisms today? For one, <clears throat> I think it's essential to realize that baptism on a fundamental level is a death ritual. When you're baptized, you're baptized into the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That means that our lives no longer belong to us. Our lives are not ours to protect or defend or argue over. Our lives belong to God. <clears throat> we are joined to Jesus in death so that we can join him in resurrection. But baptism is also a declaration of allegiance. It's a public announcement that Jesus is king, not Herod. That we acknowledge the authority of Jesus and his kingdom over the flawed, broken systems of power that dominate our world. For all of us who have been baptized or anyone thinking about pursuing baptism, the question we have to ask is, where does our allegiance lie? Where do we find our identity, our security, and our hope? Does our security come from a number that shows up on a bank account or a retirement account statement? Is our safety connected to a loaded gun we have hidden somewhere in the house? Is our allegiance to a particular political party or nation state or leader? Is our identity found in going to the right church, belonging to the right family, having the right career? Or do we root these things in Christ? This is hard stuff, you guys. <clears throat> like, this is not a sales pitch for baptism, I kind of realize. If you want to get baptized, if you want to follow Jesus, you really do need to count the costs. Now, I love baptism. There is nothing that is more exciting, gives me more joy, than welcoming new friends into the family of faith. And if you're here today as someone who's never been baptized, I wish I could tell you that baptism will fix all your problems. 
that it'll make life easy, that all your temptations will go away and you'll be a better person and you'll make friends. But that's not how it works. <clears throat> if you've already been baptized, then you know this already. You're, you're in it. You know how hard it is to actually live this stuff out. You know how hard it is to root your identity and your trust in God when there are so many other options around us. But what I can tell you is that baptism for me has been totally worth it. <clears throat> for all the joys, all my failures, all my struggles, the journey of following Jesus is like nothing else I know. It's a journey I'm proud to walk with all of you. And it's a journey I'd love to see you enter into if that's the direction God is leading you in your life. Now, I want to close today with a responsive reading. What this really is is a prayer. <clears throat> it's a prayer of rededication, of renewing our baptismal vows. So maybe you've been baptized already, and you know this struggle. You're in the midst of it. Maybe you're, you're not doing that great at it right now, but it's a new year. And it's a new opportunity to, to remember our vows and renew that walk with Jesus. Or maybe you've been baptized, but you've never really grappled with this stuff. Baptism was just a box that you checked, and you haven't really wrestled with what it looks like to follow Jesus as your Lord, to give your allegiance to Jesus alone. Maybe this can be a, the beginning of something. And if you're here today and you haven't been baptized, then I really just encourage you to listen to these words as you continue to discern and work through where God is leading you at this particular point in your life. Uh, let's do this. I'll read the small font. You read the big, bold stuff. And uh, let's do it. <clears throat> Eternal and gracious God, we give you thanks. In countless ways you have revealed yourself in ages past and have blessed us with signs of your grace. We praise you for sending Jesus, your son, who was baptized in the waters of the Jordan and was anointed as the Christ by your Holy Spirit. Through the baptism of his death and resurrection, you set us free from the powers of this world and give us cleansing and rebirth.